Salesflare and this is Founder Coffee. Every two weeks I have coffee with a different founder. We discuss life, passions, learnings in an intimate talk, getting to know the person behind the company. For this fifth episode, I talk to Louis Jonkere of Showpad. He leads a 260 plus person scale-up that equips sales and marketing teams at Fortune 500 companies with the tools to organize and track the delivery of sales content to their prospects. Louis is a born entrepreneur, hustling since he was young, and he's also one of these guys who can recognize and double down on a good opportunity when he sees one. We talk about his passions, how to build a great team and culture, and the power of optionality. Welcome to Founder Coffee. Hi Louis, welcome to Founder Coffee. Thanks Irwin, it's great to be here. Yeah, you're founder of uh, Showpad. Uh, Showpad is not really known with startups because uh, you mostly focus on big companies. For, for those who don't know what Showpad is, tell us. Yes, so Showpad is a sales enablement platform. Huh? So we are a software platform that helps salespeople find the right presentations, the right white papers to share, to present, and to interact with their customers. So we're, uh, I would say, a content management system, like purpose-built for sales and marketing, so salespeople can become more effective. So that's it, very short. So you, you focus most, mostly on content delivery and, and tracking that, or...? Exactly. Yes. Um, so basically, uh, for, for example, if you look at a typical customer of Showpad, like let's say Xerox, mm-hmm. and they have, I think roughly 10,000 pieces of information that their salespeople need to use. Um, so we have a solution that makes it much easier for salespeople to find the content they need, to present it, to share it. And then obviously mm-hmm. also the whole tracking behind it. So knowing what salespeople use and if they share it, uh, how prospects interact with it. How did how did Showpad come about? At at what moment did you ex- exactly decide to start Showpad? How did that happen? Yeah. So so before Showpad, uh, PG and myself, so my co-founder, uh, had another company called In the Bucket, which was uh, a service business. And so it was a business that developed like uh, custom-built applications for. Uh, big brands and enterprises. Um, so we were in that company and suddenly we started to get requests from customers who just bought iPads. And so mm-hmm. I think seven, eight years ago, the iPad was just released. And a lot of companies were starting to look for applications that salespeople could use on an iPad. And because the iPad is a natural presentation and, and sales conversation device. So that's how we started to get into sales enablement and we built a few applications for, for, for some customers, so recurring demand, and decided to then uh, start a company called Showpad that uh, actually made a product out of that. Yeah. So is it correct to say that you, you, you saw a wave there and you jumped on it? Yes, exactly. And that, that wave started in the beginning uh, really because of the iPad, uh, the opportunity the iPad had in enterprises to be used as a selling device. Mm-hmm. Afterwards, like we saw a bigger opportunity of... Uh, aligning sales and marketing and actually starting to look at the sales productivity and effectiveness equation from a much bigger uh, point of view. Yeah. So basically big companies bought iPads and they needed something to do with it. Or? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. BASF, for example, is a, is, a, is, a, is a good first customer. I think the website was live literally three days until we got a call from a guy in, in the US that needed 2000 licenses because they just bought 2000 iPads Mm-hmm. We had no with those devices. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds like a like a a, a, a big crisis. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so so you started from a consulting business. 
Yeah, it's a services business. So, so basically, uh, for example, companies like Bankcontact, uh, a mm-hmm. company in Belgium, coming to in the pocket and say, like, hey, uh, we have a list of requirements we want to put in a, in a mobile application. Can you guys build it? Can you further refine the concepts? Like those are the types of things uh, we've did, and and like that company still exists uh, in the pocket, mm-hmm. still there, um, kicking ass. Yeah, and it was both PGA and you were in that company, or. Yes, so, so that company was started with three. So Jeroen, uh, who currently is still the CEO of uh, In The Pocket, uh, PGM mm-hmm. started In The Pocket. Yes. Yeah, so you guys kind of went out of In The Pocket yeah. uh, to start Showpad. Did, exactly. did In The Pocket in some way, like, like how did that in the beginning, how did that work In The Pocket versus Showpad? Yeah. So, I mean, so I would say there was a, a transition period of, I would say, like six to 12 months where uh, both PJ and myself uh, like divided our time between In The Pocket and Showpad because what we didn't want to do is to just abandon like uh, In The Pocket and, and, mm-hmm. and like make sure it didn't went uh, any place. So we had a long, I would say, transition period. And then we made sure that uh, Jeroen, like, who, who, who stayed at In The Pocket, like, was surrounded with a, a good management team. And so we made sure that uh, everything was set for that company to continue uh, to grow, uh, which it did. Because uh, at the time, we uh, went working with Showpad like 100%. I think they had roughly... I think 20 employees now in the pocket is, is, is at about a hundred. So like they're still doing really well. Yeah. So, so did, did, did in the pocket somehow finance uh, Showpad? Because if you see like companies like uh, Stack Overflow and Trello and Intercom, they yeah. kind of all started from a consulting business that partly paid the bills in the beginning. Is this similar yeah. here? Yes, definitely. So, um, so, so in the pocket, uh, so in the beginning, Showpad was developed under uh, like the IP of in the pocket right like it was uh, IP of, of the agency we developed it for customers but at the moment we decided to pull it out like we played it very fair and very correct and like we bought over the IP with Showpad and then in the pocket did finance Showpad for a while with loans uh, which mm-hmm. then, uh, paid back but yes I mean like having an agency financing the initial development of a product like Showpad like saved us as founders a lot of dilution and because we didn't have to raise money uh, in the beginning. Yeah. Was, was, uh, in the pockets your first, uh, startup, let's say, or, um, other ones? It, 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 the first, uh, real startup. So, um, during uh, university, I, I, I had my own company that rented out karaoke systems online to other students. And so that mm-hmm. was, uh, at that time, quite an undertaking. I mean, uh, I had a few students working for me and, and, in, in Ghent, in Antwerp, in Brussels. Uh, so, during karaoke, like for the Flemish people who listen, like that was the name of the company I started initially. Yeah, and that that, that was just karaoke systems. Yes. Um, and this started when you were a student. That what, what did you exactly study? So, so, so I studied law. So I studied uh, law in Ghent, and I think it, it was in my second year of law that I started that company with a, with a friend as well. So basically renting out those karaoke systems online through websites. And if, if people mm-hmm. hear the system, they could pick it up at my, at my home. Like that was basically it. Yeah. Have you always kind of known that you wanted to go into startups because you, you, you made a decision for law, which is not really in line with yeah. doing I, that? I agree. I still don't understand why I ultimately decided to study law, <laughs> but I did. Yeah. I think at that, at that point in time, I really didn't really knew what I wanted to do. But at the moment I started studying law after, I think, my, my third year, I knew 
like this is nothing for me, but I still finished uh, the study. Uh, I didn't want to get mm-hmm. up. Uh, but I always knew that I was going to end up like with my own company and, and that I was going to end up uh, starting my own business. So that's something I always knew. Yeah. Is it somehow influenced by your parents or your, your is yeah. it family, friends? It's um, a, a little bit uh, by my parents. So my, my, my father was uh, also like an entrepreneur, but at a smaller scale in, in, in art. Uh, I would say like he definitely gave me some uh, inspiration. But well, let me say that, that, I mean, more the friends that I had and the friends that surrounded me, like most of them were entrepreneurs. Most of them were very ambitious. And like being in uh, that type of environment really uh, mm-hmm. pushed me to, to do something myself. Yeah. Did you, did you ever have a, like a an, quote unquote real job? Uh, I did for six months. Uh, and uh, that was at Netlog. So after I graduated law, I, um, I went to Vlerig because I, I figured I missed some, I would say, practical uh, mm-hmm. knowledge. So I did that. Very happy with that decision. It's a business school. Business school, yeah. So like a master in general management. Uh, and, that, and, and then I worked, then I did my internship for Netlog, uh, like for Vlerik at Netlog. And then I got a job there, stayed for six months. Yeah. Uh, but Netlog is the place where I got to know PJ and my co-founder. And uh, very mm-hmm. quickly, we, the idea and the conclusion that we should do it ourselves. Yeah. And you worked there for Boris from Expenditure, who's also yes. on the podcast. Exactly. Assistant yeah. Boris was my first and only boss. Yeah, so you were in the com- commercial department then? Yes, b- b- strategic partnerships, which was okay. at, at that time like a completely new role. And, and basically I was tasked with uh, finding revenue streams for Netlog outside the traditional, uh, I would say, uh, advertisement uh, revenue stream. Yeah, cool. Yeah. But Chopad, uh, how, what was your initial ambition there? So you had a consulting business or a service business yeah. and you wanted to start a product but what was it that you had in mind when you started doing that well i mean so, so, so first of all like very early on um i would say like after having in the pocket for a year pj and myself started to talk about i mean this is fun like learning a lot having great successes uh, but we want to have we want to build something scalable something that that, that recurs something that that is easier to internationalize because again, a service business is, is, is hard to scale, right? I mean, it depends on the, the amount of people you have and the amount of customers you can sign. Um, so before Showpad, like we had that urge to, to build a product, something we could sell on a recurring basis. And then when we got onto the idea of Showpad, I would say like we, we started that product thinking, okay, this could be a great additional revenue stream um, on top of what In The Pocket is doing as a service business. But at that time, we didn't fully grasp the opportunity we've, we've, we've tapped into. Yeah. It was only after a few months when we suddenly started to get like, like Apple uh, interested in us, Audi becoming a customer, Xerox, uh, Schneider, like all these huge brands out of nothing mm-hmm. across the world starting to buy our licenses. And like, it, it, it's at that time you start to realize, damn, I mean, like, we have something that is much bigger than we thought. And... and that then will start to feed your ambition, your drive, like everything you do. Yeah. And when growing your business, are there any other examples you're looking at when you're doing this? In terms of examples of um, opportunities? Of, 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 of other companies that uh, have built something? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, 
so a company I personally looked up to as a, as of the beginning was, was HubSpot. So very mm-hmm. inspired by uh, what they've done. Um, I mean, they basically built a product in a in a very busy competitive market, but like with a very strong company culture with very strong leadership and a very simple scalable product like they managed to to yeah, build this in a in a multi-billion dollar company and so mm-hmm. I, I was inspired by them like even in their early days uh, i still remember uh, showbet was one of the first customers of hubspot in in europe and so uh, definitely had a lot of uh, i would say like respect towards uh, those founders yeah no. You're talking about the culture of HubSpot, etc. Are there any of these aspects that you're trying to recreate in Showpad? Yeah, yeah I mean, t- t- totally. And I would say co- company culture is something um, that, that, that that grows on you. Like I would say in the beginning, the, the moment we started Showpad, PG and I really never like wrote down what, what company culture was or what it should be or like, like how we thought about it. Mm-hmm. Like in the beginning as a startup, it's, it's, it's a very natural thing, right? Like, like the, 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 co- the company culture are the founders and until you like reach 20, 25 people, like it is just that. It's like how you react, how you work, how you uh, deal with your colleagues and customers. Um, but a moment you start scaling and then this happened to us like at around like 30, 35 employees, like suddenly, like you're starting to grow so fast that uh, you will have to start writing down some of the values you have or some of the, the, the things you really believe in. And yeah. the, big, the bigger you become, the more important that is because people will um, will identify it, uh, them with it. Will I mean, it will, it will help your recruiting, it will help your brand, it will help your business in general. Yeah. So, so you started writing those down from 30, 35 employees. How did you communicate it? Um, so, so, so in the beginning, we had uh, we have we have weekly uh, what we call show pies, which is basically <laughs> so, so show pan, and then like every Friday around I think like five, we just eat some pie together, and like that, that idea became show pie. Uh, but that was for PG and myself, the former. We started to share those things, and we yeah. we, we we wrote down like those values together. We we made sure management was involved, and then talked about them. And like the, the great thing is, like even today, like our employees really identify them immensely with, with the showings, uh, which, which are our values. We call them the showings. Mm-hmm. Um, if you would take one showing away, like some people would probably revolt and, uh, and not be happy at all because it, it, it's so personal. Yeah. Can you give us an idea of one, uh, one showing? For yeah, sure. Um, be, be humble. Super important. And yeah. so, um, that's, uh, that's very crucial to, to, to PG and myself that we have people in our company who are humble uh, who don't see themselves as the, the most important person in the room. Um, and I mean, yeah, it's something that, that, that I mean, trickles through everything we do, like how we, yeah. how we renew, how we hire, like, uh, how we, how we do things. Cool. Yeah. So if I'm not mistaken, you are VC funded. Was that a conscious decision? Yeah. Yeah, t- totally. Um, so I think the, 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 the decision to, to, to go with venture capture was the moment we decided that um, like our market is huge. So like that happened around like I think half a million euros in revenue. We started to see like, damn, we could easily bring this to like five, 10 million, but we cannot hire fast enough. We cannot bring in enough engineers. So we will need money. So not very, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, we evaluated some, I would say some, some things around financing. We went to some banks. Uh, but believe me, like seven years ago, like the landscape was very much different than, than it is now. Like getting money from a bank 
to mm-hmm. build a startup like seven years ago was a no-go unless you were willing to uh, be guaranteeing yourself uh, for, for defaulting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so yeah, so a very conscious decision to, to start raising venture money. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, you're still on the venture track and raising. Uh, yeah, exactly. So we, have, we yeah. Haven't you been approached for an acquisition at some point? Yeah, we have um, multiple times. And I would say like if you have a fast growing SaaS company, I mean, people will notice. And so we mm-hmm. have um, actually around a million. We had a very uh, concrete acquisition offer when the company was at 10 million in revenue. We had like actually a term sheet on the table, which we said no to. Um, mm-hmm. so we've been through those, uh, those scenarios already a few times. That's 10 million ARR? Or? Yes, 10 million ARR. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Cool. And and you 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 never decided to sell. Uh, no. Why is that? Well, it's it's and and then like, like hopefully every founder that is listening uh, to this podcast will be in that situation. Eh? Um, so 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 we got like a very serious offer on the table around ten million euros in annual recurring revenue. That's a bit like a golden number, and once beyond that, things will go uh, could go great. I would mm-hmm. say. At, at, at that time, we said no to uh, to an offer for a few reasons. First of all, uh, we were having fun, uh, like mm-hmm. an opportunity that was much bigger. And to be put very simply, like we really believed, like if we looked short term, that we would double our company at a minimum. And, and if you then would look at company valuation, that would mean that that even if you want to sell, then still wait a year until your revenue doubles, and then you will be even worth more than double. And so. Mm-hmm. Big belief in the company, big belief in the short term, and I mean, e- even though we said no to a lot of a lot of money for us, like I was thirty years old uh, mm-hmm. at that time, like it, it didn't felt right to to do so. Yeah. So, on which track are you now? Is that going towards the IPO or? It's um, so, so, so we had our um, our yearly team event uh, a month and a half back, and we did it mm-hmm. in in Miami, and I uh, like the, the 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 event was called Launchpad and. Part of the message we wanted to give there was to provide people perspective, like on which mm-hmm. we are. And uh, for example, for Shoba, the next big milestone is to to get to 100 million uh, euros in recurring revenue in in, in a few years. That's like mm-hmm. uh, that's a goal. And then obviously, like you need to answer the question, like okay, why are you putting that number like up front, and why is it important, and like where does this bring Shoba? And like the answer to that for us is, is very simply optionality. Well, like we, if you grow fast enough, if you do that in a few years' time, if you get to 100 million, then at mm-hmm. that point in time, you have options, right? You can choose to, to IPO. You can choose to stay private and maybe take some more private equity money. Uh, you mm-hmm. can choose to not raise money and just become profitable, or you can choose to be acquired by, by a very strategic acquirer because you believe um, uh, Showbet could accomplish more than other companies. So... Like we have no preferred choice at this moment other than having optionality at 100 million euros in revenue. Yeah, keeping all options open. Yes, and, and, and that's one of my biggest advices that I always give to entrepreneurs. Like make sure you have optionality at any point in time when it comes mm-hmm. to financing uh, or exits because, because otherwise you're like, you really come in a, in, a, in a bad position. Yeah, cool. How big is Showpad now in terms of uh, employees? So I think we're now at about two hundred and I think sixty-two. Like that—that—that's the number. <laughs> that's very exact. Changes, yeah. changes is because I looked at our. We have a dashboard in our company that that is counting the employees. Oh. Uh, 
but 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 it, it changes every week. Like people go, people are hired, people leave. Like, like it's it's a very fluctuating thing right now. Yeah, is that what takes most of your time now, or is are you working on less, other things? Less, less. I, I I would say the the period when when the company was between, I'd say like five and 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 twenty million. Like that's when it probably took most of my time, and especially. Yeah building out the team in the US, uh, hiring that initial executive team. Um, and it's only since a year that, that we actually started to really professionalize uh, HR at Showbet, like with a, with a mm-hmm. HR, with a recruitment team, with a compensation and benefits team, with a, with a, with a best partnership team, like, like all of that is being, uh, yeah. is being done right now. What is your job right now then? Uh, so, so my job right now is um, probably the biggest amount of time currently I'm spending with, uh, with customers and partners, mm-hmm. uh, either as, as, as helping the sales team sell, uh, helping the customer success team renew, or like really building strategic alliances with, with, with some bigger partners out there like, like a Salesforce, like, like an Apple, like a Deloitte, uh, et cetera. So a lot of customer facing um, yeah. activities. Um, so that, that's one probably... I would say like 30% of my time. Mm-hmm. Um, another big part goes towards like, um, like product strategy, product roadmap, uh, doing design reviews, working with the product managers, uh, doing all of that, uh, aligning the engineering team, those things, that, that's a big chunk of my time. Um, mm-hmm. I would say <laughs> thirdly, I would thought leadership is, is becoming more and more important. Uh, uh, Showbat is... Um, in an industry that is, that is fairly new, like I would actually say that we are creating that industry uh, mm-hmm. with one or, one or two other companies. And if you're in a, in, in a situation like that, you just have to be out there a lot, give presentations, write articles, do white papers, like be that thought leader. So that's, uh, that's a really big part of, uh, of what I do. And then I can like general company strategy, like uh, partnering with PJM, uh, deciding on the objectives, the metrics, following up. Uh, executive of size like all of those fun yeah. things cool that's a lot of a lot of different things so this is high level sales the brand the product yeah. yes and partnership strategy strategy exactly yeah, yeah I, I wouldn't want to do anything else yeah <laughs> it's a lot of fun what, what what are exactly the skills that you uh as louis bring to show bad oh that's a good question <laughs> um so so we'd say what I've always been very, uh, very good at is, is I would say, like product strategy and 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 both long term, short term, and mid term. Like I have a, I have a very good feeling with what a product should do, what it should solve, uh, but also strategically where it should go to. Uh, and for example, at at this stage, like um, if if Showpad looks at becoming a hundred million dollar company, like we could get there with just tweaking what we have today by, by tuning up the, the, the go-to-market teams, by adding a few more features, by, by creating a few partnerships. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not something that will get us to two, three, four hundred million. In order to do that, you need to think much more strategic. You need to think about, okay, what is my acquisition strategy? Like what are the other technologies I want to add to work show that? And so I would say overall product strategy, Product roadmap, like working with the PMs, design reviews, that's something that uh, that I've always been uh, very excited about and, and I think pretty good at. Uh, mm-hmm. I would say two, like, like hiring and, and, and maintaining a world-class executive team. Uh, mm-hmm. Something I did together with, with, with PJ, but like we've always put a lot of effort in that. And like if you would look at at Showpad's executive team, like it's it's world-class. Uh, 
our, our COO, our, our VP sales, our VP marketing, or our engineering leadership. Uh, and that's, I mean, one of the most important skills you need to have as a founder. Like that's the ability to, um, yeah, to, to hire a kick-ass team, to build a kick-ass uh, executive team. And so yeah. product strategy and annotate overall communication. Like, like there's, I mean, you would be surprised how much communication you, you have to do once you, uh, once you scale your company. Communication mm-hmm. to employees, to investors, to partners, to customers, to prospects. Like, and you have to repeat yourself a lot. And it's not that uh, mm-hmm. say it once in the beginning of the year, you're done. No, you have to repeat stuff every week. Yeah. I'm also pretty, pretty good in that, I think. Yeah. Sounds like you get most of your energy from building things. Uh, yeah. building a product building a team building yes. a brand yes the the, the, the the building phase is the most and I mean you're always building but, but, like, but starting that company building that product uh, and, and coming from like an underdog role is really something that uh, uh, energizes me and, and makes me get up every single day yeah talking about getting up uh, and uh, what time do you get up in the morning uh, so around uh, six, not because I want to, but because my youngest son is awake then. <laughs> he's yeah. a, a year and a half old and uh, he's, he's an, uh, an early an early bird. Uh, but I get up around around six, like uh, give him food and, and, and stuff to drink with my wife. And then uh, I very typically then, then work an hour and a half at home before I uh, yeah. go to work. So I start early. Yeah. Do you have uh, many kids? I have two. So I have a daughter who's almost turning three and a, and a son of a, a year and a half. Yeah. So yeah. it's busy. So, so you also come home in the evening, spend some time with the kids? Yes. So, so I, I always try to be home. And so, so in my calendar, I always consistently block uh, my agenda between um, like 6.30 and, uh, and 8.30. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mostly between six thirty and seven, I'm home, and, and then I try to spend another hour with the children because otherwise, like I, I wouldn't see them outside. Yeah. Content. And I don't want to be that type of dad. Yeah. And what happens after eight thirty? Do you go back to work or? It's uh, and 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 sixty percent of the, the the cases, yes. Although I try to uh, avoid that, but but um, like a big a big chunk of our team, like a hundred of the. 260 employees of Showpad are in the US. And so uh, with the time difference, like it, it, it obliges me to, to be on a lot of calls in the evening, to, to do interviews in the evening, to, to uh, collaborate with mm-hmm. team members. So th- there, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of that. And uh, I mean, that, that, that's sometimes a bit, uh, a bit tough if you want to combine it with a family, but, but, but it works. Like it, uh, really yeah. yourself through that. Well, uh, when when we met each other last time in San Francisco, I remember you saying that you didn't open a laptop after eight o'clock. That changed then, or? Well, that, that, that changed, and and the reason it changed is because as so uh, until a year ago, I lived in in San Francisco for four years. Uh, mm-hmm. um, if you if you work from San Francisco with with European teams, then literally like around six six thirty, like things shut down. It's it's in the middle of the night and. Uh, in Belgium, like in, in San Francisco, people stop working. So you have like a few hours where really nothing happens. Like in Belgium, it's the opposite. Like in Belgium, if we, if we get home at 7, it's 10 a.m. in the morning in San Francisco or it's uh, mm-hmm. uh, in, in Chicago. And then uh, like, like yeah, we, we have no choice. So unfortunately, that rule, like I had to kill it. Yeah. But uh, it's for the greater good. Yeah. What do you do currently then to, uh, to stay fit? 
Well, dude, um, I would say if I'm honest, like at, at this point in time, probably 95% of my time goes to uh, working and, and spending time with the children. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a big snowboarder. So, so this year, uh, like this winter, I will have find the time to go snowboarding three times, uh, outside cool. of the season. Like uh, I, I try to hike as much as possible with my wife. So, so the, the weekends still remain pretty untouched. And so like, mm-hmm. uh, can do a lot there. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm an outdoor type of guy. So the moment I can, I'm, I'm outside. Yeah. If it, if, if it's all shop out for a ton of money and you could, you could decide whatever you I would like to do what would you do would that be traveling hiking or yeah so, so, so I think like in the scenario that that we would sell showpad or like we would IPO we would cash and like for some reason we don't want to be at showpad or we will be at showpad anymore then I think the first thing I'll do is definitely uh, take a few months off <laughs> and, and yeah. I, I travel for six months like maximum uh, a year, like like do do those types of things because life is way too short to to just work all the time. And if you financially are able to, like do crazy things, do crazy things. Um, but it's not something I, I would be able to do for the rest of my life. So I think very quickly uh, after like a long long holiday, I would um, think yeah, the next startup would probably be uh, what we would do. Yeah. And then any idea in which space? No, not that. I mean, there, there, there's so much opportunities in terms of uh, like the, the disrupting industries with, uh, for example, blockchain technology, um, machine learning, the driverless cars. Like, there's so many massive trends that are uh, that are growing that where you can build upon. So, no concrete idea, but I'm pretty sure there will be yeah. enough. Yes. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah. And yeah, and, and maybe something else than, than enterprise software. Like, who, who knows? Maybe you wanna. Do something totally different, but let's see. Like consumer or more small companies? Yeah, consumer, smaller companies, like maybe even non-tech. Like let's let's see. As long as we're uh, having fun is the most important criteria. Uh-huh. Where are where uh, where are you based and where is Shopad based? So um, so I'm currently in in, in Ghent. So mm-hmm. I moved back from San Francisco to Ghent. That's Ghent in Belgium. In, in Belgium, yes. So, so a, a year ago, but, but I mean, if, if I look where I am, then I probably, I travel like, uh, for example, in Q4, like more than 50% of my time, like I was traveling. So uh, I always say that my home is wherever I need to be. And uh, yeah. that's either in Belgium and in, in London where we have a team, uh, in Chicago uh, where we have our headquarters in the US or in San Francisco. So it depends where I have to be. Is that f- four or five places? It's uh, important five. Five. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So it's uh, a, lot, a lot of office management. Yeah. <laughs> is, is Ghent a good place to have your startup? Yeah, it is. I mean, it's, um, it, it's a really good place to, to, to start a company. I think uh, if, you, if you have an idea that is, 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 is great enough that, that people will want to work with you, like if, if you're able to quickly find like engineers and if you like go to market people, then I think Ghent is a great place to uh, to begin, uh, lots of local talent, uh, like easy-ish connections, like with 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 the airport that can bring you everywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 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 a very creative environment, so I, I like Ghent. But um, like, don't don't think you can build a startup just for like build a scale up just by being in Ghent. That's a very mm-hmm. You will have to build that mindset that uh, if you want to become a global player, that I mean, you'll have to open up offices in London or in the States or in Berlin, like wherever uh, customers and talent is. And so yeah. 
although we're Gans like, like we're a global company. Like that's yeah. Is that mostly for sales or is that also for other departments? Well, it's, um, no, I, I would say it's, it's, it's in general go to market is something. So sales, marketing, customer success, where at this date, like there's not a lot of experienced people you can find in terms of, uh, uh, like selling enterprise software or marketing enterprise mm-hmm. um, Like with Showbet, we're basically like uh, delivering the first real batch at scale of that of that talent. Um, but uh, I mean, the, the talent is uh, when we start. Like we couldn't find experienced people in Belgium, so that's why we started to hire a few people in London. Went to to the US, mm-hmm. but also in, also in engineering. Like we have phenomenal engineers at Showbet. Like I think. Uh, if you would look at our group, then today we have roughly like I think forty-eight uh, people uh, in engineering. But but like at this stage, we're now also starting to see that it's becoming really hard to keep scaling here. Yes, there is talent, but there is not enough. Like you probably know that as well as a, as a, as a founder in, in Belgium. Like it's it's tough to find good people. Um, yeah. Like a strategy uh, always should be is to to think very global when you're building uh, your teams and and. If your brand is strong enough, and if your like um, uh, your employer brand is, is good enough, and you have a good offering for people, uh-huh. uh, then I think you can build a massive engineering team, a massive sales team uh, in Belgium. But uh, then realize that probably a lot of the people who will join you will not be coming from Belgium, but they will be people who will come from abroad, living uh, to uh, hey, moving from another part of the world into into Belgium. Yeah, yeah, we also have two Americans here. Yeah. Uh, the rest are still Belgians. Yeah. It, we're not really competing for developer talent because we're in different cities, uh, Showpad and Salesforce. Yeah, exactly. Um, what What are the the startups you're actually competing with for talent? Is that team leader? Oh, I would say every every startup in 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 Ghent, like that needs engineers is 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 a competitor between brackets like. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, people would go to to build great products is, is a place where they then will not go to show that. Um, yeah. But um, but I mean yeah, and and it's I mean it's it's tough to find good people. Uh, like even abroad, things are becoming uh, more difficult. And uh, so, so so maybe like a, a, a good thing to think about. But um, so, so last weekend I went uh, skiing with a uh, with one of the founders of of Booking dot com and. Mm-hmm. Uh, like there in Amsterdam, like one of the questions I asked them is like, like, okay, where do you have your engineering team? And because I think they have close to a thousand engineers, or like at this point maybe already more. And mm-hmm. to my surprise, most of them are all in Amsterdam, and most of them are still in in, in the Netherlands. Uh, but then when he, when he talked about where they come from, like I think he said roughly ninety percent of those engineers like comes from other countries. Like they hire from from Spain, Portugal, the U.S., India, Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. They've worked out a value proposition where it's uh, very attractive for them to move to uh, to the Netherlands. And huh. so uh, that, that, that was interesting because, like, at Showbet, their last I think six engineering hires, I think five of them like were people from Ukraine, from Russia, from from India, from the U.S., from New York. So it's uh, it's interesting to see that. Yeah, how do you convince people from 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 these places to come to Ghent? Yeah, I mean, so so uh, so our value proposition is is pretty straightforward. So first of all, I like I, people who uh, are like people who you're speaking with that are abroad that are applying for a job are people who want to move to Europe. Right? Mm-hmm. You say like, look, I want to spend a few years of my life in, in Europe with the family and live here. And as long as you're speaking English, like you will do just fine in uh, in London, right? That because like 
95, 100% of the companies there have English as a main language. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once you start to look outside the UK, they're actually, I mean, if you want to work for a scale-up or a startup, not that many companies at scale where like there's a huge amount of diversity, the, where there's a company that is thinking global, where the main language is English, where they have offices across the world. So, I mean, competition on, on, on that side is then not so big for us. Because yes, we're yeah. also maybe not the most obvious place for people to live the ones they investigate, once they go to Ghent, once they see how close it is to everything, then suddenly it becomes really interesting. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I had plenty of candidates that, that signed that told me, like, look, the reason why I chose for Showbit is the international and diverse character of this scale-up in the middle of Europe. And, like, that's mm-hmm. what I often find. Yeah, that's very nice. Yeah, that's really cool. Because in, in, in Germany, like, in most cases, like, the language will be German. In, in France, in most cases, it will be French. Mm-hmm. It's, it's English. Yeah. Do people also learn Dutch then, or do they well, stick with English? Yeah, we, I mean, we, we don't oblige them to do so, but uh, yeah, we have a few people now that are starting to do Dutch classes because they want to integrate, they want to be, become part of the community. So it's, uh, yeah. it's always a good sign if people ask to start taking Dutch classes. Yeah. Do you, do you finance it as an employer? Just for my info. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, can you repeat the question? Do you finance that as an employer? Do you do you pay them for Dutch courses? Yeah, yeah of course, of course, yeah. of course. Yeah, I mean, it's it's because if you if you bring in people abroad and and that that's I would say uh, an exercise that is in progress. Like we, we want to do better there. Like yes, you have to make sure you support uh, the employee coming in, but also supporting uh, their husbands or wives. Like making mm-hmm. you're settled in, their children can go to school. So I mean. At, at that point, it's then really not about the job just anymore, but it's about, okay, how do you make sure that they settle in as easy and as comfortable as possible? Yeah. So you actually have people taking care of helping families out. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, and that's where our like people team or HR team will, uh, and is adding a lot of value. That's cool. Wrapping up, um, what's the latest good book you've read and why did you choose to read it? Oh, um, the latest good book I've read is probably uh, The Power of Habit. Uh, have you read that book? No, not yet. It's, uh, I think it's a book that came out, uh, I think, about two years ago. It's a, it's a book from Charles Duhigg, I think. And it's really basically around, okay, um, people are creatures of habit, and we all know that. Mm-hmm. Organizations are also creatures of habit. Uh, and then the whole book talks about, like, okay, what is a habit? How does it psychologically and physiologically look like and, and, and how can you dissect um, a habit and then how can you influence habits? How can you change habits? And, and the reason I like that book is because, I mean, there are so many useful tips in there on how to change your personal habits, but also like in your company, how to change culture, how to change yeah. the way you work. So um, a very like scientifically backed book with a ton of inspirational and, and, and handy uh, tips. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a big, a big recommendation for everybody. So, so you've learned more on how to set culture in, uh, in Showpad. Yeah, and, and realize, okay, why are we doing certain things? And then you'll be surprised that, that most of the things you do as a person, but also as a company, like, come because of a habit that you've created. A lot of mm-hmm. the decisions you make every single day are based on habits you have in the way how you think and act. So uh, in the beginning, it's a bit shocking. Like, I'll not reveal the whole book, but... The first pages are eye-opening. It's like, yeah. damn it. I mean, okay, that's really scary. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, it's a good book. 
Is there anything you'd wish you'd have, you'd have known when you started out with Showpad? Oh, um, wish I had had known. Um, I mean, I, I basically would have would have thought bigger as of day one. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that the <laughs> I, would say, I wish I had known like like and and it's something you 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 know in a way about the the, the arts and and the the, the power. Of storytelling, of of, proof, of of like telling a big story with a big vision where people can relate themselves to, and making that that vision and that mission and that whole dream you have very tangible and measurable is something like we didn't do a good job of in the beginning. But, but mm-hmm. having lived a few years in the U.S. working with magnificent uh, startup scale-up executives, like it's 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 amazing how much you can achieve with with like articulating a vision that resonates and. Uh, like the, the the next company will start, uh, will definitely do much more of that as of day one. Cool. Yes. Thank you, Louis, for being on uh, Founder Coffee. Um, Welcome. I'll send you over a package of Founder Coffee. We have some actual coffee here in the next few Ooh. weeks. Cool. Uh, so you can enjoy it at home. Great. I'm a big coffee drinker. Thanks, Louis. Cool. Thank you. Bye. That's it for this episode of Founder Coffee. We hope you liked it. Let the world know if you did. Thanks for listening, guys.